morning we have a great uh, text to focus on as we start our summer series, uh, which is no series at all. It's uh, whatever the Lord um, leads and puts on the heart of the preacher. Uh, Ken will be here, Ken Wagner, a couple of times in the summer. We also have a Chris Ansel who's coming in a couple of weeks to preach, and so it promises to be uh, a great time of reminding us about the promises that we have in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the choice texts in all of Scripture. Paul writes to these believers. uh, In some people's minds, these are folks that he's been with more than any other Christians. He spent uh, somewhere between a year and a half to three years in Ephesus. It's a church that he dearly loves. It's a church where many have come into that town after he's been there and criticized uh, the ministry of the gospel. They've said there are other gods like Diana. And uh, so it's a cosmopolitan town. It's a town in which uh, there's a lot of uh, effervescence when it comes to spiritual uh, truth and falsehood. And so Paul here is writing this great letter, the Magna Carta of Grace. And he begins in chapter 1 talking about their hair in Christ as Christians, and he continues in chapter 2, and I'd like to read the entire thing, beginning in verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not your doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Years ago when I lived in Miami, I spent a lot of time on Key Biscayne. Key Biscayne's an island in Biscayne Bay off the coast of Miami, and in order to get there, you had to either fly or take a boat or go across the Rickenbacker Causeway. I chose the latter course. I'd drive across that causeway a couple of times a day, and I always remembered a couple of things about Eddie Rickenbacker. I knew he was a wartime hero. I knew he was a pilot. But other than that, I didn't know a lot about him. It's interesting, um, before he became a pilot, he was a race car driver. He drove at Indianapolis, the Indianapolis, uh, not 500 then, but 100. He set a speed record of 134 miles an hour. I know that I only exceed that a couple of times a week. <laughs> I knew that, uh, or I didn't know, that he was uh, a flying ace in World War I. He had 24 kills in the space of two months, and he had the description of the American ace of all aces. He also, during uh, between World War I and II, he started an automobile company. After World War II, he was the president of Eastern Airlines. He was very distinguished, very accomplished. He had many experiences. But I think it's interesting that of all the experiences of, of his life, there's one that he remembers above all others, and he tells this way. In October of 1942, I was on a mission I was flying a B-17, the Flying Fortress. I was headed to New Guinea to give Douglas MacArthur certain orders. En route, we lost all radar service. Worse than that, we began to run low on fuel and we had to ditch somewhere in the South Pacific. For nearly a month, my crew and I were in rafts facing weather and water sharks and scorching sun. The largest raft that we had was nine and a half feet long, which was big, but when you considered that most of the sharks were ten feet long, it was very dangerous. Worse than that, like Louis Zamperini, who was ditched in the same body of water six months later, we struggled with starvation. After 10 days, we ran out of rations. We didn't know what to do. We were very hungry. And so one morning, Bill just finished reading the Bible. We had a prayer for deliverance. We had sung a hymn of praise. I pulled my hat down over my eyes to prevent my eyes from going blind by the glare. I started to go to sleep. And all at once, I felt something on my head. When I looked out from under the brim of the cap, I could see all the crew looking at my head. And I knew it had to be a seagull. And I knew that if I could capture that seagull, we might be able to make it for a few more days. And I did. I grabbed him. We ate its flesh. 
We used its intestines as bait. And in 14 more days, on the 24th day, we were rescued. You know, it's interesting. Eddie Rickenbacker spent his life after the war and after his presidency of Eastern Airlines living in Miami. And it's said that every Friday night near the end of his life, people could look out at this relatively lonely, deserted beach and they could see a man with gray hair and bushy eyebrows with a bucket of fresh shrimp. He was stooped and he'd take those shrimp and feed the seagulls. When he was asked why he did it, he said this, of all of the experiences of my life, Nothing compares to the day that that gull landed on my head. If it hadn't been for that gull, my boys and I would not be here. I can't get him out of my mind. I'm just so grateful. You know, it's interesting. We come off a Independence Day weekend time when we remember those who've paid the ultimate price. I think of the word remember. It's used over 200 times in the Bible, and yet the first time it's used to refer to God. In Genesis chapter 9, the Bible says this, the Lord says to Noah, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is set in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you. In other words, every time I see a rainbow, I'll remember to be gracious to you. All through the Bible, the word remember is used. Almost all of the time, it refers to our need to remember what he's done for us. Shakespeare once said, I hate in a man more than anything else in gratitude. And Paul would agree. In Romans chapter 1, he talks about the ungodly, and he says, we are all once ungodly, and he says this, for though they knew God, they did not honor him, nor did they give thanks to him. In other words, they failed to remember. You see, without a clear memory, there's no gratitude. And without gratitude, there's no freedom, and without freedom, there's no growth. That's why Paul, when he writes from a Roman prison to those Christians that he knows probably better than any others. He says in the span of just two verses, remember, remember. He focuses on their memory. And he says your memory is essential to your freedom in Christ and to your growth in Christ. So let's dig in. First of all, notice, if you will, the problem. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and, and were by nature children of wrath. One time Ravi Zacharias was speaking to a group in Luzon, Switzerland, who was, uh, it was a group assembled from people from all over the world. And he was talking to them in a way that Ken Wagner might have talked. You know, people from all over the world often want to know the differences between, that separate them from others. And yet Ravi didn't talk about that. He talked about the thing that, that united them, 
People of all tribes and kindred and tongue. Every religious system was represented there. And so Ravi was talking about something that united them. And he told a story. He said one time there were two brothers who were extremely rich and extremely crooked. They did everything awful. They did everything that that most people would refrain from doing. They cheated, they connived, and everyone knew it. One day, one of the brothers died. His surviving brother went to a minister and he told him the news. My brother is dead and I know we haven't ever given any money to this parish. We've never even attended your church. But I would like you to do us the honor of doing my, my brother's funeral service. If you conduct a funeral for my brother, I will give you $25,000 under one condition. You call my brother a saint. You can say anything else you want about him, but I want you to call him a saint. So the minister thought for about 30 seconds. He said to himself, a business deal is a business deal. I'll do the service for your brother, and I'll call him a saint. Well, when word got out that they were going to do a memorial service for this crooked, conniving, wealthy man, everybody in the town showed up. They couldn't wait to hear what the minister would say about him, and it was packed. When the music died down and the minister got up, he said, he welcomed everybody and said, this man who's laying here in this casket is despicable. He's dirty. He was conniving. He was a schemer. He's a vulgar lawbreaker. In fact, every dirty, rotten, stinking thing that you can think of, he's done. But compared to his brother, he's a saint. And all over that auditorium, people went crazy with laughter. Rave couldn't speak for another five minutes. Regardless of culture, regardless of language, regardless of religion, everybody knew that we by nature are sinners. We by nature are perverse. We're by nature selfish. Every one of us knows that. Good intentions gone bad. You think of the first sin in the Bible. It's good intentions gone bad. In the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will be like God. It's a good intention gone bad. And yet when they eat it, they're not only alienated from God. They're not only alienated from one another. They're alienated from the heritage of God's people. Think of it, in Paul's day there are two groups of people. There were the Jews, the children of the covenant, and there were Gentile dogs. That's what the Jews called the Gentiles. And it's interesting, Paul is writing to largely the dogs. And he says to them, remember that you were once separated from God. You were once separated from the covenant. You were dogs standing outside of the family of God. You were alienated from every promise of God. You are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, that's your problem. And what Paul is saying to the Ephesians is never forget your problem. Never forget what you were. Because when you remember that, 
you will be grateful. Second, notice the position we have in Christ. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once afar off have been brought near. You know, of all the words Paul uses, that preposition in is one of his most favorite. To the Thessalonians, he says, to the church of Thessalonia, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To you Christians in Thessalonica, you are in God and in Christ Jesus. To the Philippians, he says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. To the Colossians, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word in, he loves that. And he says for every believer... Gentile or Jew who've been brought together in the family of God you are now no longer your own you are in Christ one time an old Christian was sitting there and a man came up and said you know why is it that you have such confidence that when you die you're going to heaven and the man just looked at him He said, why do you have such confidence that when you die, you're going to heaven? Don't you think that you might slip through God's fingers? And the old Christian man said, that's impossible, for I am one of his fingers. That's what Paul's saying. We're now in Christ. We may have been Jews, we may have been Gentiles, but now we're in the same body. We are now all members in Christ. I mean, you think about most of the Christians that you know, including you, and the way you describe your relationship with Christ. You say, I accepted Jesus. I've made Him Lord of my life. I've invited Him in. He's my master. I'm His sheep. He's my shepherd. Those are all biblical terms. And yet Paul's a lot clearer than that. He says Christ is the head. And you are a finger. You're a toenail. (laughs) You're a knee. You're a foot. You are in Him. I mean, think of how often we pray this. Lord, be with me today. You never see Paul praying that. Paul never prays that. Lord, be with me. Lord, help me. Be with me. You know what Paul prays? Lord, let me see me in you today. You see, that's your position. He says, once you were afar off, once you were an enemy... Once you were a stranger to the covenant, but now you are in Him. That's your position. So when you remember your problem, and you remember your position, you're always grateful. Then third, notice the proximity. Look at verse 13 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, there was only one way to establish a deal or a covenant between two people, and that was to sacrifice a substitute. They called it cutting a covenant. 
If you wanted to make an arrangement with someone, you cut an animal. You shed blood. Because without a sacrifice, there was no deal. Without blood, there was no covenant. So think of it. All over the Christian church today, there are those who want to study the second coming of Christ. I mean, you, you advertise a Bible study on Revelation and it will be packed. You want to hear about end times. You want to hear about the second coming of Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, when you compare the second coming to the first coming, there is no comparison. The first coming is so much greater Because without the first coming, the second coming is not a good thing. I mean, think of it. Adam sinned once, and he was separated from God. He's hiding in the trees. When Adam sinned once, he lost everything. You've sinned a lot more than once. When the Lord came to find Adam, He found him in the trees. When the Lord came to find you, He found you in the muck and mire of the world. When the Lord came to find Adam, He found a man who remembered walking with Him in the garden. When the Lord came and found you, He came to a person who could never remember walking with Him because you didn't. When the Lord came and found Adam, He came to one who remembered that He had a God who was Yahweh. When God came and found you, He came and found you who worshipped all gods but Him. The greatest being yourself. No wonder that when the Bible speaks of leprosy, it always analogizes it to us. You know, in the nation of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, the tabernacle was set in the center of the people. And right next to the tabernacle in the inner ring were the priests. And after the priests, you came and you saw the people of Israel. So there was the tabernacle, the priests, the people, and then all of the livestock encircled the people. You know where the lepers were? They were outside the livestock. They were outside the camp. They were never allowed to come close. Even though they were children of Abraham, the law restricted them. They could come no closer than 400 feet from a non-leper. In all of Israel, no one lived further away from God than lepers. And yet, according to Paul, you and I lived further away than that. We once never knew the covenant. We once were enemies of God. As to the law, lawbreakers. As to the people of God, dogs. As to the promise of God, we were children of Satan. But listen to what Paul says. But God, who's rich in His mercy, out of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together in Christ. Meaning what? Meaning He resurrected us. Dead men don't choose 
Dead men want nothing to do with God. But he resurrected us. And he put us in Christ. What Paul is saying to these Ephesians is don't you fail to remember that you are no longer out here or here or here or here. You are in the one who dwells in the tabernacle. I mean, you think about Eddie Rickenbacker. Of all the experiences of, of his life, driving an Indy, flying airplanes, being in combat, starting an automobile company, being the president of Eastern Airlines, he says there's one experience that is greater than all others, and that was the day that that seagull landed on my head. Because without that seagull, I would have been lost at sea forever. He could never stop remembering it. He never stopped being grateful. And yet Jesus has given us so much more than freedom from a wrath. You know what Paul says? He said, never forget your problem and be grateful. Never forget your position. Be grateful. Never forget your proximity. Be grateful. Because of Eddie's memory, every Friday night he'd feed the seagull shrimp. Because of your memory, of who you are in Christ, you can do so much more than that. You can give yourself away freely. You can love others without expecting anything in return because He's given you all that He is. He's given you Himself. He's loved you unconditionally. And that's really worth remembering. Because as you remember it, you will do what Christ did. You'll move about with freedom, giving to those who need freedom the good news of the gospel, which is Jesus has done it all. You know, last night I was at a wedding reception. And a woman came up to me, and she was one of the singers, great singer, used to be in New York on Broadway, and now she's in St. Louis working with Children's Theater. She said, I want to tell you a story. My boyfriend broke up with me. We were having tough times. I called my friend, Tara, the bride. I said, Tara, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I... I feel like my life's in shambles. And Tara said, Morgan, you have a God-shaped hole. You've tried to put everything in it but Him. You need to say yes to Jesus. 
He's orchestrated every problem you've got. She said, how can I do that? I don't know how. Tara said, pray, pray. She said, I don't know how to pray. She said, just talk to him. She said, all at once it seemed to make sense and I wanted to. And So I was driving home and I was talking to him. I said, I don't even know, Lord, if this is the way I'm supposed to pray, but here's what I'm thinking. I guess you know. And I get home. We had a big projection screen at that time, and so I turned it on, and I went in the kitchen to make a cup of coffee, and there was a commercial on, and I didn't watch it, but then all of a sudden I looked, and the screen went black. And then these words came up. God loves you trust Christ and I did and my life has never been the same I'm so glad she told me that story because it has every condition she remembers her problem she remembers now her position. She accepts being accepted by Him. And now she understands to a greater degree, and every day it grows, her proximity to Jesus. That's how we move free. By never failing to remember. Think about that. Amen.